Hey friend, are you looking for a way to reignite the spark in your marriage? Well, I've got some really good news for you. Jeff and I are going to host a free virtual date night on March 14th at 7 p.m. And this is going to be a place where you can discover practical tools with the Enneagram so that you can really understand one another, right? Like we all need that. Well, this 90 minute event, we're going to explore the power of the Enneagram with the gospel to help your marriage flourish. And how are we going to do that? Well, we've got something new and unique with the Enneagram called the relational dance. We help you to understand why your spouse thinks, feels, and does certain things and how to navigate that dance together. So reserve your free ticket now at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash date night. You are not going to want to miss this. Trust me, you're going to gain so much more clarity than you ever thought imaginable. Get your ticket at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash date night. And we cannot wait to see you there. And this is Jeff. And this is your Enneagram Coach, the podcast, where we're here to help you to understand yourself with astonishing clarity so that you can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. Well, friends, we're back with uh, Angie Elkins and Beth and I answering your questions. So why don't we go ahead and just get started with our first question from Sarah. Okay. Hey, everybody. Question number one today is from Sarah. She says, I am new to the Enneagram, but oh, type three is me. My question, is it possible to be a type three and live the life of nine for long periods of time? What does that look like long term? So Angie, a few thoughts come to mind whenever I hear questions like this. Um, You know, one of the insights that we've gained over 20 years of using the Enneagram is that we move to those down the paths, those two numbers connected by the line in both healthy and unhealthy ways. And we may have a, a seminary professor once told me this, and you'll hear me say it a lot if you're a long-term listener, but uh, your problem's not your problem. Your problem is your perspective on the problem. And so I'd, I'd love to hear from Sarah that, um, was living, feeling like she's living like a type nine. Did she experience that as a good thing or a bad thing? Because it very well could have been a very healthy thing for the three, for the engines to slow down, um, to live in relationship with others. She's more hospitable, um, more kind, maybe more kind to herself. And yet that could also be a a negative thing. Maybe she was less uh, introspective. Um, she was, uh, about her own heart, uh, and even about her relationships where she was just kind of acting oblivious, trying to disengage from Mm. external stimuli because she was just so overwhelmed. So it could be a good and bad thing, but remember, you know, I, I, I quote Acts 17 a lot that the Lord determines the seasons in which we live. For whatever season that was, simply asking the Spirit to help you interpret that season about what it meant for your relationship with God and your relationship with people, because we it could be a good thing, and we just didn't realize that it was a good season. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that goes for all of us. So again, Enneagram 1.0 usually is, oh, I go from this number to this number under stress. True. 
But we also use that same number in a very, very healthy way when we're doing really well and everywhere in between. So for instance, as a nine, when I'm under stress, I can move to some of the um, average to unhealthy aspects of a six, but I can also use incredibly healthy values and attributes of a six as well. Now, both can feel uncomfortable at times. For instance, when there is, let's say, uh, we're late to the airport because I woke up late and it's eight o'clock in the morning and we're trying to get up to the airport and there's all the traffic and school zones and stuff, I'm going to be thinking of all the worst case scenarios and I'm going to be testy and irritable to the family, even though it was my fault. And that's where I can be alert and go, oh yeah, that's not the way I need to be reacting or they don't need to experience that from me. So I can talk about that with them and apologize. But there are times in life, the healthy part of six that comes out of me is duty, responsibility, Mm. also thinking through how would this affect others in a way that I can navigate in a positive way. But a lot of those don't feel really comfortable to the nine, like duty and responsibility. I just want to chill, you know? But when I'm doing duty and responsibility, even though it's not my go-to mechanism as just a pure nine, it's healthy. It's Mm. good. So just because you might not be feeling your pure type in the moment, what Jeff is really saying is let's check and see how is this actually healthy, average, or unhealthy Mm. for me to be experiencing. That's really what the Enneagram is all about is checking our heart condition. Not so much do I feel uncomfortable or do I feel weird about this, but really and honestly, how am I doing? You know, it makes me wonder because we've been working through that trauma series on our Tuesday episodes, if when we, when um, a person experiences trauma, if they can look like that, that negative move to, to that, uh, that shadow side, I guess, or the, the line, um, if, is that a thing or? Yeah. Well, I know that when, when Jeff, there was a season that, uh, we didn't have a lot of income coming in. I lived that entire season looking like a six. Okay. I looked like a nine. Yeah. At home. As a matter of fact, Beth would see it so much. She'd call my friends like, hey, can you check in with Jeff? Because like he's, <laughs> he's, very... acting, he's acting like me right now. <laughs> he's very <laughs> disengaged. He's watching a lot of TV. Like it, cause, and that's just where he It was a hard season. Yeah. But then I was acting very frenetic and concerned about every little thing and kind of irritable and trying to overwork and be over responsible, trying to make sure everything was going to be okay. I remember you were reading more content about our experience during that time than I was. And you would ask me like, why aren't you reading this? Like, this is really helpful. And I just could not do it. And, you know, with, with the the facing trauma, uh, Allender and wounded heart talks about the, the good girl response. You become more dutiful um, the party girl response, you, you, you try to numb the pain. Um, and then I'm trying to think the bad girl where you just become more provocative and challenging everything. I think there's one other, I just can't remember it right now, but there are various responses to the seasons of our life and being an observer of what's actually happening in our interior world will help us to identify how we need the help both of God and others uh, during difficult times. But the most important thing and how we use the Enneagram, not to say that we do it perfectly. <laughs> In fact, it's just this daily exercise, but it's to see it through the lens of the gospel. Meaning, when I recognize that my heart is wandering off or that I'm not believing truth, it's not aligned with the truth of the gospel, I'm in my, let's say, 
stress path where I'm acting out some of the unhealthy aspects of six to welcome that, to see that and not welcome it like, oh, this is okay. It's to understand why it's happening and then to bring back, to, to preach the gospel to myself or tell myself the gospel that everything has been accomplished through Christ, that he pursued me and loved me. He has not only forgiven me, but given me his righteousness. So I am his beloved child. Now that doesn't mean we don't ask for him to change our heart condition. Of course, we want to become more like him. We want to renew our mind. We want to uh, change our heart disposition. But that's where we surrender to him and depend on him by allowing the gospel message to completely transform ourselves and to seek appropriate help. So, you know, we can speak the gospel to ourselves all the time, but there might be incidences that where we really do need to seek professional help, whether it's a counselor, a coach, mentor, a pastor, whatever level it is, to make sure that we get that extra resource and help for different reasons. That's good. I love it. Okay, let's move on to the next question. This question is from Brian. Would you consider discussing how the subtypes fit into the Enneagram and what resources are available on that topic? I'm a nine, and I think I'm self-preservation, and my wife is a six. Not sure how that would work for her. Well, a few things come to mind, uh, Brian. Uh, One is uh, Beatrice Chestnut's book on the 27 subtypes is incredibly helpful. Uh, It's the most exhaustive presentation of the subtypes for all of the nine types. And so, one, I would first go and get the resource because you're going to learn a ton. Um, Subtypes are actually more helpful than what I think people give them credit for. Mm -hmm. Usually, uh, for those um, that are introduced to the Enneagram, it gets very complex, and so they back away. But this is one of the uh, subtleties of the Enneagram is that we have these kind of instincts about us that shape our experience of type. So number one, subtypes speak to the diversity within the range of each number. Beth used the illustration of Sherman Williams that if you go look at the color blue, there are thousands of colors of blue. So we should never presume that we know someone's type um, just because we know their number. Uh, There's so many other variances there that their particular shade of blue is very unique to them and subtypes speak to that. And and I think number two, it really helps us. What I have found personally is that it helps us tremendously with our family. So um, Beth being a one-to-one nine, I experience that on a regular basis. And what that means is that she is not only as a nine desiring to accommodate to me, but of anyone else in the world, I am by far the most important person that she wants to accommodate to. And part of being her husband, that is a gift and a burden. It is a gift that my wife loves me dearly. Mm-hmm. And at times she <laughs> loves me dearly. Yeah, like, well, because my, okay, so the instincts are, think of it as the light switch to the electrical wiring in the house. So Mm -hmm. it is the first thing that happens. It's an instinct, you know, just like when our hand hits an oven, you know, or the the stove, it naturally pulls up. It's an instinct. That's why they call them instinctual subtypes. So this is not necessarily a part of the Enneagram. It's outside of the Enneagram. But when you put them two together, you get an alchemy or let's say kind of like, uh, two hydrogen and oxygen make mm-hmm. water, it, a whole new molecule. Okay. So what we're, what we're looking at is you want to kind of 
see, okay, well, which of the three subtypes is my dominant one? Mm. But you have to know that we use all three of them. It's not just one. You use all three, kind of in a cascading order. Mm. And so what is my dominant one? What's the second one? And what's the third one? The one that I'm, I don't use a whole lot, and it actually can be kind of a blind spot for me. Um, and so there's self-preservation, there's social, and there's one-to-one. Okay, those are um, the three and again, subtypes for every Those number. are the three subtypes. Okay. Yeah, everyone should hopefully mm-hmm. take care of themselves. Um, and some people are much more focused on their self-preservation. And don't think of that as in selfishness. We, we need to eat. We need yeah. to take care of our house and the temperature and our bodies, et cetera. So that's a good thing, but it can become unbalanced. And then there is the... Uh, I'm just curious, Bethy. What do you think uh, Angie's uh, instinct would be? I think we've already talked about this, but my guess is social. That's right. Oh, really? So you can you can feel the energy, the topics, the, mm. the frame with how they interpret and experience the world and engage with the world. You can actually see it present well, in each time. Also, because mm. you've really toyed back and forth, am I an eight? Yeah. And then we always, when we talk about it, we always keep landing on eight. Right. Um, but the social eight is the counter type to eight. So, mm-hmm. and you, so you... You said this, you kind of jumped in a little ahead of time. But so one of these three that we use is the counter type. And again, Beatrice Chestnut's book explains all of this. But the social eight, which is you most likely, um, is the counter type. So it actually looks very two-ish. Okay. Or more playful. And again, you bring in that element of seven. Mm-hmm. So it can make you actually look more seven-ish. Though when we keep looking at those core motivations and why you do what you do, we keep landing on eight. And so it helps to explain a person's type a little bit more, especially if they're the counter type. Jeff is the counter type. Okay. Um, he's the one to one six. And he looks, instead of sixes, they all look at fear and they're thinking about fear um, and what they're going to do with this anxiety and fear, what could happen. But some will avoid it, mm-hmm. whereas others, like Jeff's one-to-one six, go into the fear. They mm-hmm. move headlong into it. Well, and, and I will say this, as it comes to this abandonment part of my heart, this fear that I have uh, of anyone else, my biggest fear is that Beth would abandon me, mm. that our marriage would end. Mm. And and that just difference. So I'm not doing, I'm not a six who's acting out of uh, social norms or expectations or what's appropriate. I'm actually am inclined to challenge those things. But when it comes to how I relate to my fear, it's, am I safe with Beth? Mm. Uh, and so that's the one-to-one showing itself in my relationships. So, Kind of going back, so we have the self-preservation, the social. This is where um, the natural instinct, this is your dominant one, you're going to be focusing on a group and wanting to belong in this group. Now, again, it's going to look different for each of the nine types, but that's kind of the main focus. And then the one-to-one, this is where when you go into uh, relationships or circumstances, you're looking for that one-to-one chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually it could be a spouse, a best friend, maybe a coworker. Usually there's a few of these. And sometimes what you'll find is they're, they're going to move towards one person in any given situation or hoping that they can have this um, chemical connection. You know, just, we, we all know what this is like. As, oh, yeah, my best friend, when we got together, it's just like we just clicked. That's what the one-to-ones are really looking for. And so Jeff and I are both one-to-ones. Now, social for me is second. Um, and so some people, if 
if the two top ones are really close, it can be confusing. Um, and then my self-preservation can be less. But again, when we were in that uh, season where Jeff didn't have a job and I was working part-time, that self-preservation showed up big time for just that season. And then once everything kind of, let's say, got back to quote-unquote normal, that self-preservation went back to its normal spot. Well, it, it was really subtypes that is why one of the reasons why I mistyped myself Absolutely. at the beginning because I, Beth's mom, who is a self-pres six, and I saw that, and I'm like, I am nothing like that. Mm -hmm. She is very concerned um, with money, with safety, with insurance. Appropriateness. Counsel, wise counsel. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I am not that anxious of a person looking for that much support. Or it appeared. It appeared that way. Right. And then, so I thought of myself as an eight versus realizing I'm a one-to-one -one six yeah. that's counterphobic. And that's where our mistyping guide can be really helpful. So like, people can get a mistyping guide at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash mistypes. It will also be in the show notes. Um, and that can really help some of the people that are kind of confused. Um, well, I fit a lot of the six, but definitely not this. Or I fit a lot of the four, but not this. That can really be helpful you know, too. One of the interesting things, uh, subtypes came up in a very practical way recently where um, we had a parent who was talking about their kid they could be eating dinner that night asking, well, what are we having for breakfast tomorrow morning? <laughs> uh, that focusing on food, focusing on timing, okay. schedule, that can be a very self-pres uh, mm. type question and behavior. Yeah. And so then for the parents that aren't that, it's like, why are you, why do you keep bringing this up? Well, if you understand their instinctual subtype, it's mm. like, oh, well, of course, that is your natural way of thinking. Yeah. Because, I mean, like with... Actually, that is our child. That's, that's exactly. <laughs> Libby. Um, it's like, you're 20 years old now. She's out of the house. But okay, at the time, it was like, you're 18. Mm -hmm. We have fed you every meal for 18 <laughs> years. When you ask these questions, it's almost like you're asking, is the next meal coming? You know, mm -hmm. and, it's, and we laugh. And, but, but that's what it can kind of feel like when the instinct pops in. Mm -hmm. So when you put the instinct and the Enneagram type it sounds like, oh, well, instinct plus type equals, and then you kind of fill in the blank with what you think mm -hmm. it would be. But it's actually not quite that easy. That's why it's really important to get a really good resource like Beatri mm -hmm. Beatrice Chestnut's book, The Complete Enneagram, because what you'll see, it's kind of like two oxygen and a hydrogen coming together. It's like, wait, mm -hmm. Two gases make a liquid, huh? Yeah. Like, how did this happen? And so it's important to understand really what those, uh, the instinctual subtypes look like mm -hmm. versus just trying to think about it in your mind. So two things really stood out to me, and I know we're not going to have time for any more questions, but I think this is fascinating. Um, first, you said that the instinctual subtypes exist outside the Enneagram. So it's not mm -hmm. actually an Enneagram layer, Am I right in saying right. that? And it is once you put them together, okay, right? Okay. So, it, I mean, like we teach it in the sense of, okay, so you're a social eight. Yes. What does that look like? But we could literally just focus on your um, social instinct being your top okay. dominant instinctual type. There's a whole understanding of just that mm -hmm. and how that works for you, how that can also derail you, et cetera, et cetera. So there's all of that. But because we focus on the Enneagram, we are focusing on how the two come together mm. and the alchemy between the two. I think that's super interesting, especially because, and this will open up another topic that we will get into another day, but 
especially when we talk about our children, because I know we don't type our children, but I do bet that figuring out their instinctual subtype might actually be a little more evident even than their number at times, right? So maybe that's something interesting. And then the second thing that you said that I think is super interesting is that each subtype is going to look different in every number. So if you have a self-pres 7, it's going to look different than a self-pres 2, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah, it's not it's not a 1 plus 1 equals 2 okay. situation. It's more like the the two um oxygen and hydrogen, mm-hmm. you know, what that actually Am I even saying that right? Is it Yeah. <laughs> No, you're doing great. I've never heard you use that before, but you, you, you're nailing it. I'm like, all the chemistry today. people out there are like putting their face to their, or their she palm used to their alchemy. face. You're very sciencey today, well, Beth. Yeah. And, you know, actually, Libby, our daughter, just um, texted me the other day about learning a little bit more about her subtype. And because, again, you don't want to just find the dominant mm-hmm. one, you want to be aware of how all three operate within you and what is the blind spot which one can you kind of coach into becoming healthier or showing up in different seasons of life that could really be beneficial for you so again all of this is just understanding our heart condition it's not bringing shame and self-condemnation and fear it's not that one is better than the other again it's just understanding how we can come in alignment with the gospel and the truth to become more like Christ. But that doesn't mean we will be Christ, but how can we come in alignment to represent him well in the way he created us? And so there's many, many layers to that in the Enneagram. And the more that we can just rest in what he has already done for us, start there, everything else will not necessarily fall into place. There is still work to be done, but our heart disposition will be more open for transformation to happen. That's great. Well, that was really fun. And that's all we have for today, the time we have, because we could literally just go on and on. But keep sending in those questions. We love them. The link is in the show notes, or you can write your questions to info at your and our team will set them up for some more Q&A episodes. And always remember this, that the Enneagram reveals our deepest need for Jesus, not our need to work harder. It's the gospel that transforms us. Thank you so much for joining us today. 